Today's guest is author, comedian, and blogger Samantha Irby. I tracked down Samantha after reading her new book, Wow, No Thank You, which was highly recommended by the New York Times. I then read her other books, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, Meaty, and New Year, Same Trash. All of them made me laugh out loud. Talking with Sam had the same effect. She said I could call her Sam because that's what her friends call her, and we're friends now. I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Hi. Hi. All right. I want to give a tiny bit of backstory okay. about my obsession with you, if you don't mind. <laughs> no. I am an egomaniac, so please. <laughs> I mean, please. Well, like a few months ago, I read a review of your book, Wow, No Thank You, in the New York Times. It was glowing. And so I bought your book and I read it. And I thought, like probably anybody who reads your books, this is my best friend. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> because of your candor and your humor and your relatability. And so I DM'd you, I think. Mm -hmm. But I've been a little nervous about talking with you. You read an entire book about, like, me being a full maniac. I refuse to believe that you read that book and were like, man, I'm scared of this deeply mentally ill person. <laughs> I am so easy. I feel like that, like, when I watch your movies, though, like, I knew what was up. I was like, oh, I love her. <laughs> I own quite a few. I just watched What's Your Number, which is like <laughs> one of my way back jams. And I was like, like to get myself pumped up. And I was like, Anna is the best. Thanks. Actually, Samantha, I always thought like that I sh my character should have slept with a lot more people. Like, I thought so too. <laughs> that was like a weird studio disagreement. They wanted me, my character, to have slept with 16 people. The writers and I wanted like 80 at least. Yeah. I love that movie. I loved making it. But that is the one thing that it's like the whole conversation feels archaic in general. Mm -hmm. But thank you for watching it. <laughs> You're welcome. I want to get back to you though. Okay. Do you find that you have obsessive fans like me? I bet you have a lot. Well, I never think of them as obsessive, which is just my own, like, low self-esteem. You know, being like, I believe that people, like, read my things and laugh. But then, like, the part of me that hates myself is like, oh, but then they put the book down and they're like, who cares about this idiot? I'm not going to think about her anymore. But first, I started writing to, like, get people to like me, right? I was like, I have this thing I can do. I'm funny. I'm going to write these things and make people fall in love with me. And then it was like, I would get so many like emails and stuff from people who were like, this was funny and I related to it and it made my day better. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And then the goal is going to be to like make people's day better or like make people happy or relate to them. So I do get a lot of feedback from people that is like, I really love this. Thank you for saying this thing I can't say. But I never feel like they're obsessed. I mean, I love it. All I really want is to be loved. <laughs> Me too. But I, I think I wrote to you the second time, like, 
please be my friend. Please call me. <laughs> okay, first I want to say that I was going to call you, but then I thought for sure that it was like a joke. You know how people are like, I love you, I love you, I love you. And you're like, oh, okay, well, you want to like hang out? And then they're like, no. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? So I was like. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like we're both yeah. kind of like that like, fundamentally. Should I- should I, I would call her, but like, what if she's doing something? And then if she doesn't answer, I'm going to feel weird. Like I, I was like, I'm going to call her. Then the call's going to go to voicemail. And then I'm going to be like, oh no, you like took a joke too far and actually picked up the phone. I had a whole thing. So now I'm just going to like call you all the time. Please. And if oh my you don't God. answer, I'll just be like, well, she's busy. Puzzling. <laughs> Not, she hates me. In your writing, has it taken time to be comfortable with how open and honest you are? No. I understand that that's like a gift to be able to like talk about your stuff and feel open about it. I think there are two factors. Like one, my parents are dead, so there's no one... To be like, don't say that. <laughs> that don't is a do that. strong point. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. You're going to bring shame on this house. Like, there's none of that. And then, two, I have been, like, rewarded for that honesty by people who, like, talk to me and are like, thank you for saying that enough times that it, I'm sure there is someone somewhere, like, I don't read. Amazon reviews or Goodreads reviews or anything like that. So I'm sure there are people who who are like, man, I wish she would shut up about her butthole all the time. But <laughs> the feedback that actually reaches me is usually from people who are like, thank you for saying this, or I can't talk about it, but I'm glad that you do. Yeah. Or the fact that you can kind of articulate a lot of bad stuff, but in a way that's funny, really speaks to me and that's like the impetus to keep going and keep doing it and then I've done it enough that like I don't even know (laughs) at this point like how not to do it how not to just say everything (laughs) all the time I mean maybe not like in interpersonal relationships right it's not like every time I talk to a friend it becomes a therapy session but When I sit down to write something, I just don't even know how to hold anything back. I'm like, well, this is what I was feeling and this is what I was thinking and this is what happened. And then it's it's just all there. My really strong reaction to you, too, was let's not waste time. Let's like talk about the shit Mm -hmm. of like what it is to feel out of place, whatever the fuck it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like I just swore to impress you. <laughs> I didn't swear because I wanted to impress you. This is like people who are listening to us have a first date. Totally, totally. So the thing is, when you sell a book, like I spent the last two or three months, however long since it came out, talking about myself all the time to different people while also trying to be sensitive because the book came out like, right after lockdown. And so I not only had to talk about myself, but I also had to like try to find a way to talk about myself without being an insensitive asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start off asking you some life 
questions. Yeah, let's do it. All right. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? It is Jenny's Brambleberry Crisp. What's that? Oh, okay. I don't know Jenny's. Text me your address. I'm going to send you some. What? Yes. That is my favorite thing to do is like ship people cases of ice cream. Jenny's is a brand that I think she's in Ohio and she has like shops in the Midwest. I know. I don't know if she has them all over the country. Her ice cream is the best. I will send you some and then we'll like talk about it on the phone after you eat all of it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What would you eat for your last meal? Oh, my God. Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> hmm. There's a Filipino place in Chicago that I miss very much, and I miss their adobo. So it would be chicken adobo. Oh. It's like kind of stewed chicken and this like brown gravy. It's very delicious. I'm sure there is a Filipino chef listening right now who's like, you are not describing it right, but it's so good. Are there other places that you miss? I mean, I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan now, which is like small. It's not teeny, but it's small and kind of rural. And like coming from Chicago, there's no Thai food here. So the name isn't as fun as the town? The name is probably the most fun. I mean, if you like breweries and coffee, there are lots of things for you to do here. So Kalamazoo has the highs and lows of life. (laughs) Yes. Takes you up and takes you down. Yeah, if you want a beautiful coffee, we can get you one. Or if you want to watch, like, really good beer being brewed, I can arrange that for you. But if you wanted, like, a chicken larb, I would have to make it for you. Wait, when did you move to Kalamazoo? And I love your sort of loyalty (laughs) towards your new hometown. (laughs) (laughs) I moved four years ago, like, in July 2016. Does it feel like a good... Mm-hmm. like shoe fit for you in terms of homes? Yes, now it does. So, I mean, you know, Chicago is just like massive and everyone I know is there. So that was hard. Like I miss like being away from people and I miss, you know, just all your places you go and like your brunch place and your little bakery over here and your jewelry store over there. Like I just miss all that stuff. But Kalamazoo is, like, I like a lot of, like, dumb, fancy shit, like fancy candles and, you know, blushes and whatever. And so (laughs) I have to, like, mail order those things, which is fine. Like, you can't just, like, dip out and, like, go get a Joe Malone candle somewhere. You have to, like, order it. But it's very cute here. There are two colleges. It's progressive. For a long time, they had a gay Black mayor, which was, like, really incredible. Was the mayor sexy? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We once went to the gay bar, and my wife was like, that's the mayor. And I was like, okay. Like, that was very exciting to me. Samantha, I want you to be the mayor. <laughs> the thing is, Anna, I don't know anything. Admitting that means you're qualified. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I'm probably like too honest to be the mayor. Like my first city council meeting, I'd be like, um, I don't know how to make a budget. So. But we are going to get a Filipino restaurant. (laughs) And the Joe Malone candle shop. Come on. (laughs) 
team. Yeah. And they'd be like, how do we get you the fuck out of here? You took all the money from schools and you built a lush in the middle of the town square or whatever. You gotta go. (laughs) You can't live in Kalamazoo without a sense of humor. No, it's true. Every time I have to address an envelope, I'm like, I can't believe I live here. (laughs) I loved it in Wow, No Thank You. You mentioned Delia's, which was such a huge part of my life. Oh, my God. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I was on this podcast and the woman who hosted it yeah. used to write for Sassy Magazine. Yes, which I loved. It was the only magazine my mom let me have. Yeah. (laughs) And I truly was like, stars were like, coming out of my eyes. Kim, her name's Kim France. I was like, I know your name. I can't believe it. So, yes, I write for people who remember Sassy and Delia's. Yeah, my mom was so against, like, Cosmo, like, any woman's magazine. Mm -hmm. My mom, she was, like, a wild child when she was younger. She was just like, do what you gotta do. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I was born when she was, like, 40, but I have three older sisters that she had starting when she was 16. She was like 16, 18, and like 21. She had them, and then she was like, oh, I need another one. You guys are the fucking worst. I need a kid who's actually great. <laughs> so when she was young, she like partied hard. And you can't like have a hard partying life and then tell your kid, go be an angel. I was an angel because I only like to like read books and stay inside. So I didn't really do a whole lot. But I think she would have supported it if I was like, Mom, I'm going to go like get banged. She'd be like, "Okay, cool. Are you close with your sisters? Well, so I would say yes, except like a 20 year age difference. And I feel like you can only be so close. So I think we're cool and we can talk. It's hard because they're so much older that it's like having extra moms. So I could never get down and tell them all my business because they would just be like, is that smart? Is that safe? And I'm like, oh, I'm not telling you anything. And I imagine with that kind of age difference, too, it's not like you're trying to impress them like you would with somebody three to like Mm -hmm. seven years older. Yeah, they must have been like kind of distant aunts. Yeah, yeah. That had cool makeup, maybe. Yes. (laughs) I mean, my one sister like taught me how to ride a bike and to drive. Like they were old enough that like, You know, if I'm 10 and my oldest sister is 27, it's like, we're not going to, like, talk. Everything I did, she was like, don't do that. Pick that up. Go over the, you know what I mean? They're just, like, bossing me around. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to talk to you. (laughs) We're not going to, like, be cool. I'm going to avoid you like I avoid mom because all you're going (laughs) to do is yell at me. (laughs) Okay, what was your favorite toy as a child? A scented strawberry shortcake doll. Oh, and it had that really funny smell, didn't it? Mm-hmm. That was kind of nothing like strawberries, but <laughs> sort of fresh. Yes, it was disgusting. The smell was terrible. I wouldn't let my mom wash it. Did she have like a secret under her bonnet? She had a bonnet. I don't think I ever took it off. I was a kid who was like, 
I didn't destroy my toys because I had like old parents who were like, if you mess this up, I'm not getting you another one. I'm with you. (laughs) So I was very like, let me put strawberry shortcake over here and rainbow bright over here and be really gentle with them. My dad was 10 years older than my mom. So he was 50 when I was born. They had that sort of like, we've seen this and done this before. <laughs> you know, we're not taking any shit off of you. Like, that's how my dad was. Like, I will buy you one toy if you fuck it up. That's it. What did you want to be growing up? I think I wanted to be a teacher. Although, I mean, I say all the time because it's true that I like don't have any real goals. Like, I just am trying to, like, do what I can to get to the next day. So I don't know that I had any, like, real aspirations. But I think when I was, like, in elementary school, I thought, like, being a teacher would be fun. Obviously, because I was, like, a fun kid. And I'm like, would it be great to hang out with kids like me all day? But then, you know, I got older and was like, college, not doing that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I was thinking about asking you earlier if you viewed yourself as an optimist or a pessimist. And then I thought from the little that I know about you that that's kind of a simplistic, silly question, because I feel like even realist might not be appropriate. It's like if you're like me in the sense that like these are some dreams out there. I don't know. I'm going to roll the dice. See what happens with very, very low expectations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels too simplistic to ask you these things. No, this is good because people don't ask me that. And I think if you read my stuff, you would be like, ah, oh, this person is like a bummer and is a pessimist. I think I have to say I tend toward optimism. I think so, too. Yeah, because like if you don't and if you're not hopeful, then why get up every day and try? Right. right. Like why? Keep living your life if not for the hope that good things are going to happen. And I think often, like, we conflate optimism with like foolishness. And I don't think that's fair. I think you can be an optimist and also be very realistic about what your life is and who you are and what's possible for you, which I think is where I'm at. Like, I'm hopeful and I want things to be good and I want people to be happy. And kind of like the engine of my work is always like, I just want to make you laugh. I want you to to relate to someone. I want you to like pick up something I've written, have a chuckle and then like, go back to your day feeling a little bit lifted. And so I think optimism with like realism firmly in place is like my lane. Yeah. 
Okay. How have people from your past, I don't know if you went to your high school reunion or if you keep in touch with those people, but Mm -hmm. how have people from your past reacted to your fame and success? Well, it's funny. So I am still friends with a lot of people I went to high school with. I was like really lucky to grow up with good people. Oh, man. (laughs) Samantha, But I have to interrupt you because I was really hoping that you were friendless. (laughs) And you desperately needed me in your life. I do desperately need you in my life and you're going to be in it. (laughs) And when I say friends, I mean like we like each other's Instagram, right? Because what even is friendship in, in this day and age? So a million years ago, before my first book came out, I wrote this essay about my mom dying and about my childhood. And it was published by The Rumpus. And then it ended up being in my first book, Meaty. But I got a message from this girl I went to high school with that like made me cry because my childhood was bad, right? But I was lucky enough to like grow up in a good place with good schools and good people so that I didn't fall through one of the cracks that like clearly could have taken me. And so I got this message from this woman who was like, hey, we did not know each other well in high school. And I feel bad about that because I had no idea what was going on and that your life was so hard and that you were struggling with so much. Because I was, for people who don't know, which I assume is everyone, (laughs) but I grew up, my parents got divorced. My mom's MS progressed. I was basically like living with, you know, a person who couldn't take care of herself. And we were extremely poor. Like we had nothing. We were living on social security and section eight housing. And I was having to like kind of be a responsible adult at like 10 years old. So I wrote this essay about it. And this woman was like, I had no idea. Yeah. When you're a kid and you are a kid growing up in a bad situation, it can backfire for you to, like, tell anyone. Kids aren't the most empathetic (laughs) people, right? And I think, like, people definitely knew I was poor because of, like, how I was dressed and my sort of lack of things. But for me, it was like, I need to keep all this stuff hidden so it can't be used against me. You know, I was one of the kids, like, in the social worker's office every other week because... You know, teachers notice like, oh, you've been wearing the same thing for like two weeks in a row or, you know, you look sort of disheveled. Talk to the social worker, talk to the social worker. Right. I mean, you know, teachers are trained to like see like abuse and neglect and stuff. Every time I was sent to the social worker, it was definitely because I needed to be. You know what I mean? Because like things were not good. (laughs) And, but then it's like, you know, you like walk that tightrope between like, yes, I need help, but also I don't want you to like take me away from my mom. And so like reading her message, part of me like felt bad for myself as a child that I couldn't like tell people what was going on. But also there was a part of me that was deeply invested in having like a childhood, right? Like I wanted to not think about the problems at home all the time. I wanted to be like out doing stuff and seeing people and going to things and not 
thinking all the time, like about my life. So I read that message from her and I was like, man, I feel bad that I didn't tell more people. Like maybe they could have helped more. And then there was a part of me that was like, I am like almost proud that I kept that hidden and that like I didn't let on because you don't want, it takes like the smallest thing to turn people against you or make people like bully you or whatever. You know, it's, you're not always going to get the response of like, let me help. Let me be nice to you. Like a lot of times it's like, oh, you're wearing dirty clothes and your mom's dying. (laughs) Let me shun you. So it was like half and half. But then ultimately I just was like glad she had reached out and glad she had read it. And like, We're friends. We're closer friends now than we ever were. So I think most people that I know from growing up, I had good relationships with them because I was always like funny and trying to deflect from all the shit I had going on. And so being in contact with people now, I did not go to my high school reunion because I couldn't do that. But I do like look at people's like, Instagrams and I like their wedding photos and their kids pictures and you know we do all that kind of stuff and that feels okay yeah I never want and tell me if this is a thing like you feel too I never want to like feel like I'm inserting myself into someone you know what I mean like someone who you don't like like people whose phone number you don't have I'm like I don't want to be like cute baby and they're like what is she trying to start a conversation like (laughs) she hasn't reached out in years you know what I mean (laughs) like I don't want to do that you just want to keep like the relationship as um, you know just a little in hibernation appropriately (laughs) I just don't ever want anyone to think I'm disingenuously like calling their kid cute right you know when they're like you haven't talked to me since 1998 don't talk about how cute my dog is I know I totally hear you I never had to learn really how to use a phone Mm mm-hmm Or like computer and the social media, I felt like I was almost like too old before it began. I don't know. but (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. And there's something that's really missing, I think, about intimacy with the Mm -hmm. whole construct that is kind of the only thing I crave in life. Mm -hmm. I find it kind of tedious. I don't know. I don't enjoy that kind of communication. It just doesn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. I would rather talk to, I don't know, like a train engineer. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that one came to mind. (laughs) I was thinking the other day, this is a tangent, Samantha, for sure. But I was thinking the other day. Wait, you should call me Sam. Sam, I would love to. Yeah. Okay, Sam. Yes, my friends call me Sam. I like that. And I'm your friend. All right, I'm in. Yes. Okay. (laughs) You're in. I was thinking the other day, are train engineers, do they feel slightly less powerful because their title is a little more broad than, say, a pilot or a captain? (laughs) Let's assume this train engineer is a man. If they're, like, hitting on a woman, it's like, yeah, I'm the engineer. Like, do they have to reiterate? Like, I'm actually, like, in charge of this whole thing. (laughs) One of these days, Sam, before we pass, let's make a pact that we'll never realize unless we are truly the kind of heroes that I imagine we are. One day, you and I, maybe we'll be in Chicago. 
And we'll be like swinging off of the train, like, you know, like saying goodbye. But when we'll both shout simultaneously from cars that are next to each other, all aboard. <laughs> Deal. Okay. All right. I'm great. in. Great. I'm <laughs> in. I'm going to start treating you like the train engineer. It'll, this yeah. is going to go great. <laughs> yeah. If I was a train engineer, I would just be on the loudspeaker talking to people. I'd be like, did you guys see that episode of whatever? And people would be like, stop talking to us and drive the train. That would be awesome. I wanted to know how you're going to finish that sentence. Episode of what? Oh, May I Destroy You? Are you watching that? No. Is it good? Yes. Okay, May I Destroy You? It's incredible. We're stuck in a little bit of a Westworld nightmare. Oh, I can't. I mean, here's the thing. I can't watch things that I feel too dumb to understand. (laughs) (laughs) I do feel stupid, but then I get angry because I know that they're breaking all their own rules and it pisses Mm -hmm. me off. You should watch May I Destroy You. It's on HBO. So when you're logging in to watch Westworld, you can just dip over and watch May I Destroy You. There's only a couple of episodes out and they're, I mean, it's, it's so good. Okay. It's I'm worried. So uh, it was a little bit of a flag when you said only a couple episodes because I'm kind of in a bingey place. But Waiting for things week after week is tough, especially when the show is good. I just want the whole thing. Yeah. But I will remind you, Okay, because we're friends, I will remind you when it ends that all episodes are available and then you can go <laughs> watch them. <laughs> okay. I wanted to ask you... What was a book that you read between, let's say, the ages of 11 and 16 that fueled maybe an inner fire that you had? I'm going to say Bastard Out of Carolina. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By Dorothy Allison. Uh-huh. I think I read that in high school. I read that and it blew my mind. Have you read it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that kind of like raw, harrowing story that like kicks you in the chest. It was the first time I had read something that because I was a I've always read a lot, but I would read like, you know, Sweet Valley High and Twins and all that kind of stuff. And then I think Bastard Out of Carolina, a teacher gave that to me or I found it in a teacher's classroom and I read it and I was like, oh, this, Uh you know, because I felt like alone and scared and, you know, abuse, like all the things that happened to Bone. I was just like, I'm not experiencing that exactly, but I can relate to how she's feeling. And it knocked my socks off. I think being self-sufficient and scrappy. Yeah. That stuff like imprints on you. The things you read at that age, like, especially anything that is sort of unlike what you are, but like sucks you in is like so important. I love to talk to young people about like what they're reading Uh and like what they're feeling about it and like having worlds open to them. I love that. Yeah. Okay. What was your first boss like? I got my first real job when I was 18 I worked at a bakery in Evanston, Illinois, 
called Judy's Bakery. My boss was Judy Hooper. She was, is, I mean, I don't think she's dead. She's an incredible person. She just is like the definition of a bad bitch. So the day I interviewed there was like an office above the bakery and she had everybody come upstairs. She like interviewed us in a group, right? Because she needed summer help. And she had everybody come upstairs and she went to the bathroom and she had a six-month-old baby. And so she's in the bathroom, the baby's in the office and starts crying in his crib. And everybody's like, oh no, what should we do? What should we do? And I was like, well, it's a baby. I'm just going to go pick him up. So I went in her office and picked up the baby and he stopped crying and she came out of the bathroom and looked at me and was like, you're hired. (laughs) And she was like, can you start today and your job will be holding this baby (laughs) while I try to work at least the first couple of days. So Judy's history was she, she was like extremely beautiful She had put herself through college and she paid for it because she had been in like a tampon commercial when she was younger and she got all this money and she put herself through school and then business school. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. She put herself through school and then business school. And the summer I started working for her, she had a deal with Starbucks. I don't know how long you've been going to Starbucks or if you go to Starbucks, but they used to sell these cookies called Lemon Knots, which were like, I don't know how to describe them. They were just like little round, yellow, like kind of iced lemon cookies. And Judy invented those. And out of her little Evanston bakery was wholesaling to all the Starbucks across the country. And so when I started, I mean, part of the time I would like hang out with her kid because she had two bakers who had quit. So she was working in the kitchen right after having given birth. (laughs) And like the baby's like in a bouncy seat on a table while she's like icing a cake. It was insanity, but also so great. So I spent some time with the baby and some time just like, bagging donuts and doing cake orders and stuff. And she had lots of college kids who worked for her. And around the time everybody was going back to school, I was just like, you know what? Like both my parents had died at that point. And I was like, I am not going to go to college. I'm not going to go back to school. I'm just going to keep working here for you. And she was like, oh, great. You can be the manager. (laughs) I was 18 and so I worked there for years. Like I, I moved up the chain of command and was like doing orders. And she just was like smart and funny and fearless. I mean, Judy just didn't give a shit and wasn't scared of anything. And she was this very pretty, like pale white woman with like strawberry blonde hair. She just was like tough as nails and so nice. I learned so much from her. She was just the best. Yeah, she was the coolest. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's she amazing. Was the best. All right, Judy, who has influenced your career the most? Do you mean like personally or like someone who I've idolized? However, you want to interpret it. Okay. So I would say my creative influences are probably like equal parts 
David Sedaris. Forgive that. Like, stereotypical, cliche answer, oh, but it's he's true. he's so fucking brilliant. He's incredible. Like, his were the first comedic essays I've ever read. And I remember, like, being on the bus reading Me Talk Pretty one day and, like, laughing out loud. And I just was like, I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know that that was a thing that was possible. Like, to just write stories about your life and people, like, laugh at them. And so it's equal parts David Sedaris. But also, I have to say, Monique and maybe, like, Black stand-up comedians in general, because I have watched so much comedy. And basically, my writing is like a long-form stand-up bit, you know? It's like what I would talk about if I could memorize things and wasn't afraid of being heckled. (laughs) (laughs) Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. <laughs> Do you think that being proactively honest and upfront with your work and your material. It's almost like a good offense is a great defense. A oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I started making jokes as a like fat kid who was poor and didn't ever have the right anything. You know, all the shit you need to have. I didn't have any of it because we didn't have any money. I definitely started making jokes to beat people to the punch, right? Like, if I make the joke before you do, then it sort of, it takes the teeth out of it. Even as an adult, like, whatever I feel bad about or I feel like people could say to hurt me, it's like, if I say it first, then if you repeat it, like, you just sound like an idiot. And when you repeat it, or if you say something similar, then... It's like, I already did it, so it stings less if other people do it. And the weird reason that I, like, I get asked, there's a divide in Hollywood and mentality about, like, comedic actors versus dramatic actors mm-hmm. or whatever, which has always been, like, confounding. Not, it's not confounding, because I understand the need, I guess, to categorize mm-hmm. Because there's two different intimacy levels, I think, that are very different with comedic work that's painful and relatable and funny sometimes because of its pain. Like the idea of loneliness or isolation Mm -hmm. or also embarrassment 
and how comforting it is, of course, when other people have those same experiences and how much we need that. Mm-hmm. And then dramatic work, which feels, uh, I guess, more indulgent in a way, or like the idea of asking for one's sympathy, whether that's a, that's an overt ask or if it's sort of mixed in with other asks of an audience. Well, I have always loved observational comedy and I love kind of the sense of community when a person is talking about a thing that we all experience and we're all like, yeah, that does suck when that happens or yeah, I did make that mistake too. I mean, I love that. And the thing that I do is both like sort of observing outward, but so much of it is like observing inward. It's like, this is how I felt during this thing, or this is what I thought while this was happening to me, or this is kind of like the internal survey of like my thoughts and feelings as things are happening or as I try to go through life. And it's that connection that I want. It's that I want people to be like, oh, I feel that thing too. I mean, it is an intimacy that I have created and like nurtured with the people who read my stuff. Like, I think when you read something I've written, even if I write a little thing for like the Times or a magazine or some other thing, you there is so much of me in there that it is like me talking to you. Right. So like, even though my defense mechanism is like to joke about myself, I think my work, like sort of the subtext of it is... Well, if you are here for the deeper conversation, then here it is. I mean, I'm sure there are people who laugh at what I've written, but my ultimate goal is for people to laugh with me and laugh with me in the sense that like, yes, this thing is funny and we can both observe that it's funny. But also as you're reading it, you're like, well, I have a connection to this person because like she's coming from a like a true place so yeah she's talking about how much she loves her cell phone but she's also talking about the anxiety of being at a dinner where people don't want to use cell phones and I can relate to that too does that make any sense yes completely and (laughs) Sam you're so brilliant I was reading a passage this morning in uh wow no thank you and you wrote something about like a viscous mound in the shower. You're amazing (laughs) in the details, like the total relatability. Okay, wait, I want to hear more about what you had to say about the people who influenced you. Yeah, so teacher I had my sophomore year of high school, Nancy Kelman, who is the best of the best. We had a like short story segment you know how they divide shit up when you're in school. Like now we're doing grammar. Now we're reading short stories. So we had a short story like semester and I wrote some stories for her and she was like, oh, I love these. They're so good. And I was like, oh, sure, sure. So Isn't that awesome though? It really is cool. The next year I had a different teacher 
But I kept going back to Miss Kelman to just like hang out and talk with her. And I was obviously like working out a lot of my like intense personal shit in these stories. And then senior year of high school, I got to do an independent study with her where you sort of like set up your own curriculum and you you get a teacher to be your sponsor. And she was like, yes, I'll do that for you. And so I had to write a bunch of short stories and she really like nurtured that in me and like was very supportive. A few years ago, I went on tour to support one of my other books and she came to see me in Chicago and she brought a folder with everything I had written. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That makes me want to cry. That's incredible. <laughs> it was unbelievable. She said something to, you know, there's like a Q&A or whatever after. And she like stood up during the Q&A and I was like, oh, my God. And she's like, I always knew. And I saved all your work. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, ah. That's it, like, incredible. The audience was crying. It was like, it was amazing. So did she give you the work? Yeah. Yeah, I have it. God, that's incredible. I'm like too embarrassed to read it, but. I have it. <laughs> you mean even on your own? Yeah. Yeah. I hate to read like my old stuff. I just am like, I can't even look at it, but I do have it. I love that, that she saw in you and you must have felt that growing up. And that's why you were like drawn to her. And yeah. uh, that's incredible. It is amazing. I mean, you know, teachers don't make enough and we don't respect them enough. And like, one day, maybe the system will change. But it is just amazing when you have a good one who, like, believes in you and, you know, cares about you. And she never put any pressure on me, never was like, this is what you need to do for your life. None of that. She just was like, whatever you want to do, I'll, like, support you. Do you want to write short stories? We can do that. She just was like, the coolest. Yeah. And then I had this boss. I worked in an animal hospital for 14 years, like before I left Chicago. And my boss there, Jim Hagedorn, was not to get all sappy or whatever, but you like you don't have to have a relationship with like the people who work for you. It's incredible when people do, but we hear lots of stories about people who don't. And Jim was very much like oh, you, you need to write your blog on your lunch break? Fine, use this computer. You want to come in on Sunday to work on your manuscript because you don't have a computer or internet at home? Fine, here's the key. Here's the passcode. And like, when you work for somebody for like that long, it's impossible like not to know them. But he was so like, kind to me. He gave me a little computer to work on that I wrote the first book on. He gave me insurance when I needed it and like couldn't afford to pay for it all myself. He just was like the coolest. For a person with no safety net, it's like incredible for someone to step in and be like, yeah, I'll provide one for you, you know? 
But Sam, it says a whole lot about you. Like, because I've asked this question to other people. You know, most people's stories are pretty negative when it comes to their first boss. You've now described Mm -hmm. two long-term employee-employer relationships that Mm -hmm. have been really positive and formative in your life. This says a lot about who you are and the fact that you speak really positively about both these people. Yeah, I have been, I mean, for all of my bad luck I have been like incredibly lucky you know like these these were like hourly clock punching jobs right so like when I was working at the bakery I was making like 725 <laughs> and those are often jobs where your experience is bad right where you're like right, I was so abused right, yeah. working at that place and I no. feel very lucky that like I had you know, these kind of basic jobs that turned into, I mean, almost like family situations where you're like, okay, this is a person in my life. And it helps, I think, in both instances that I worked with people who were working alongside me, you know, like Jim's a veterinarian. So we weren't like cleaning up the same dog shit. Like he was like doing surgery while I'm like, mopping the exam room. But it's still, I think that made a difference too, is that like, you know, looking over and like seeing Judy, like balancing a bunch of cake pans out of the oven and then having her like also treat me like a human being and make a good job experience for me. It was, it was nice. I love that. Thank you. Okay. What is your favorite rainy day movie? Uh, This is not glamorous, but... Probably The Social Network. (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting one. (laughs) Why? Because it's so dark and like, I don't know how to talk about movies, but you know how it's like kind of dreary looking and like gray? It's a good rainy day movie. That's interesting. I usually think of like something that's kind of embarrassing to watch over and over again. (laughs) I am, like, embarrassed that I watch that over and over. (laughs) Okay, what is a trait you dislike in others? Oh, let's see. Well, withholding. I like to get in there and say what it is and let's talk and let's, like, relate. Like, when people put on a mysterious act or, like... I can't do it. Some things need to be held close to the vest. That I understand. I'm respectful of boundaries. But when it feels put on, I hate that. Do you find that in the publishing world? Because I, I feel like it's kind of commonplace in film and TV. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to make of what people are saying to me. <laughs> publishing is pretty straightforward. I have a little experience in Hollywood And Hollywood is, like, both great because everyone says nice things to you all the time until, like, later that you hear that your, like, meeting was not good (laughs) and they don't want your thing. Publishing is, like, yes, good, here's money, on this date you'll have a printed book. And Hollywood is, like, yeah, great, love it, love you, this is so funny. Let's talk about this. You're so great. Oh my God. Want a water? Have a good day. And then later my agent calls and is like, yeah, no, they hated it. And I'm like, 
Why did they have me come in? (laughs) Uh, They gave me water. (laughs) They offered me 16 bottles of water. And validation. How could they not like me? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing about Hollywood where, like, people will talk to you just to talk to you. Like, that's what was difficult about publishing because no one wants to talk to you unless... They're making your thing. You know what I mean? It's like there's no pointless meetings. And then in Hollywood, they're like, let's have a general. I know. And I'm like, you going to buy something from me? No. Oh, okay. I just had to like put clothes on to come talk to you. Okay, cool. And then about what? Like, I don't understand what this general is. Am I supposed to be like such a dynamo of a personality that someone's going to be like, let's... Invest twenty million <laughs> yeah. in whatever idea she has. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's a trait that you dislike in yourself? Um, I'm the most unorganized person. I don't know what to do to fix it. Sam? I don't know like how you become organized. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, let's say you are down to the last tenth of a uh, jar of face cream. Uh Uh-huh. You haven't really liked it all that much. (laughs) On a scale of one to ten... What's your level of satisfaction as you throw that thing after you've used it all dutifully in the garbage or recycling? <laughs> I would say it would be a 10. I knew you were like me. <laughs> I don't know the last time I've made it all the way through. I just. Oh, wait. So you throw out before? No, Good I just have it. But then I get a different <laughs> one or a new one. I see an ad. I see an Instagram with a beautiful jar of something on someone's gorgeous dresser. And I'm like, maybe the solution to all of my problems is in that jar of cream. And then I get it. And my old cream is like, hey, I thought I was solving your problem. And I'm like, but you didn't do it fast enough. So now I'm going to (laughs) try this thing. But I'll keep you around. Yeah. (laughs) I wish... I wish, Anna, I wish that I could finish anything. Yeah. Even if the thing works, I'm like, but let me try that one. My pores could be more clean or <laughs> tight or whatever it is I'm trying to do to them. And then I just get another thing. Yeah. Oh, I do finish shower gels. That is a thing that I 
will finish or and soaps. I'm very good at soaps. It's like an orgasm. You're like, oh, look, this is an accomplishment Mm -hmm. that I've made. Mm -hmm. I've used this whole thing. (laughs) Creams, I will never finish because there will always just be a different cream to distract me. But thinking about the people who like invent cosmetics, because I mean, truly, how many types of moisturizer could you make or how many different mascaras can you make? I think that must be like a stressful job to have to invent new products. But I am always like, where's the new product? Yeah. Okay. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? New Mexico. Oh, why? (laughs) Because it's warm and dry. And like, I just want to like look at crystals and eat Mexican food. It's not so busy. What's stopping you? Your love for Kalamazoo. (laughs) Well, my wife has to be here at least until her kids graduate. She has two kids. One is starting high school and one's in middle school. So we have to wait for them to finish school. But then nothing's stopping me. So maybe I'll be your New Mexico neighbor. I love it. I love New Mexico, too. It's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a specific serenity. Yeah. Like, I am from this, the cold Midwest, and I'm extremely Midwestern, but I can't be old and dealing with these snowstorms. It's, (laughs) I can't do it. I got to live someplace flat and dry (laughs) uh, as I get older. Yeah. Okay, I have some difficult questions. Okay. To whom would you most like to apologize and why? Oh, man. Um, so I used to be friends with this guy in high school named Steve, who was the best. And, and I can't remember what I did to, like, ruin the friendship, but it got ruined. I am very good at, like, cutting a cord and moving on. Like, you know, when things are done, they're done. And he obviously was very good at cutting the cord and moving on. But if I ever saw him, I'd be like, tell me what I did. And also, I'm sorry. And I miss being your friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of experiences like that. And as you said that, I know that I'm kind of good at it, too, which Uh is something that I realized later in life, actually after an ex pointed it out to me. Uh And I don't know why that is. It makes me feel selfish. It makes me feel uncaring Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and careless, too. Like, friendships are disposable. Okay, I'm going to push back as a person who is also like that and say that sometimes... If it's easy to move on from a person, then that's all you need to know about that person and your relationship to them. Like, I think we're conditioned to believe that, like, you hold on to everybody forever and, like, you're a callous bitch if you don't work on it and work on it and figure it out. But, like, You don't have to. And I am not owed that either, which is why I'm like, well, you need to walk away. That's okay. Do your thing. But like, I don't want you to beat yourself up for doing what you need to do for yourself. Sometimes it's just over and you can be like, 
thanks, we're done here. Yeah. And it also is a shame that that's not what we expect from people in general when we're honest. I mean, maybe instead of saying that I don't like withholding in other people, maybe I should change it to dishonesty. And I mean emotional dishonesty. Like, I love lying. Everyone should lie all the time. If it gets you out of a jam, great. But I mean, I don't understand how when someone is being vulnerable and open with you, like, I love that and I respect it so much. It's so hard to advocate for yourself and to tell people what's going on with you because, I mean, we just live in this culture that's like power through or, you know, take your antidepressant and get through the day. And and I do that, of course. But like, if you can't get through that day, I feel like it's so brave and incredible to say, listen, I can't do it today. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after that. And I really do respond to that kind of honesty and appreciate that kind of honesty. And of course, I want you to do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah. With your blog, did you have those feelings of like, shit, I don't know if I should put this out there that feels really honest. Okay, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. So I started my blog in like 2008 or something like that. Like, you know, trying to date and stuff. And a lot of people in my life were like, oh, there's no one. Like once people like find your blog, they're not going to want to like, date you like no one no one wants to know all of this stuff about you and I'm like well I get that (laughs) like I get that but then the flip side is they find out all this stuff about me later and that you know what I mean it's like at least they'll know from the jump what they're getting into and I don't have to like pretend to be something else or someone else. They're just going to know it from the beginning. And like my blog did not get me any dates, but <laughs> I also though have like made enough like lasting relationships through my writing that that doesn't matter. <laughs> Sam, do you have any odd collections of any kind? No. I mean, I have many, many books. I don't want to say I'm not a sentimental person, but I am weird about having stuff. But uh, I think because when I was a kid and even in my early adulthood, I had to move so much that I was always like, got to keep it light, got to keep it light. So I don't have any like trinkets or no little shoe boxes full of stuff or anything. And now that I like live in a place that I'm not going to move from for a while, I still don't. Do you feel uncomfortable with the idea of being stationary? Do you have a an itch to continue to move or? Not really, but I do have a sort of worry about getting too comfortable. Like I do like to stay in a place and like put down roots and like, you know, feel like this is my home and this is where my desk is and there's my chair. You know, I do like that. And I do like the idea of like being a part of a community, but I think there's always going to be that part of me. Cause like, you know, I got bumped around 
as a kid, like in different foster homes and stuff, I think there's that part of me that's always like, well, don't settle in too much because you're going to get kicked out soon. But yeah, I love the idea of like staying in place for a while, but I'm always like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think in life, I'm a person who's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And that to me is, that's like going back to a little bit the optimist, pessimist question, because I feel like I have that too of like, well, okay, so I got a role in this movie, but is the movie actually... <laughs> yeah. You know, there's always a hedging of like... Yeah. You condition yourself to buffer against massive disappointment. Yes. Yeah, I always, I set my expectation bar very low. I'm always ready for things not to work. I don't get disappointed when things don't work because I was always like ready for it not to work. I'm like, ah, okay, that didn't work. So yeah, it's not even like a a fear, like an active fear I have, but I still am like, well, you know, if I gotta go, (laughs) I'm ready. Sam, what was it like walking past a bookstore and seeing a pile of your books in the window? Or what are those things like? I mean, is that a cliche question? No, no. I don't think anyone has ever asked me that. It is surreal. It also feels like it's like someone else's book or like a book I've heard about or I'm very good at like kind of disconnecting you know Um, because you have you have to be a little bit when you put a thing out into the world because like all people are going to do is talk to you about that thing right all people are going to do is be like so I read your book and on this page you said this and what do you think about that so I think there's a little part of me that like compartmentalizes because I don't want every book on the shelf to feel like a tiny piece of my soul. You yeah. know what I mean? Because that like that feels like too like open and painful. So there's a little bit of emotional distancing that I do. But it is incredible. I truly, 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 I know this is going to sound like bullshit. But every time someone tells me they've read it or, you know, on Instagram, if someone like mentions you and you get a little like message every time I see like someone has tagged me in like a copy of my book that they're reading I am sort of like I can't believe like I feel so grateful and I'm like I can't believe you're reading that please don't quote any of it to me because I will die but also thank you so much for reading that it's surreal I will never take it for granted, especially now that I know how much competition there is, how many books there are. You know, I read books all the time and I'm like, oh, I want everyone to read this. And I'm always like posting books on Instagram and like putting books in my newsletter or whatever, because I'm like, I'm really excited. I want you to read this. But then thinking about that in the context of my own books, it's like there are just so many choices It feels like a little miracle that someone, like, decided to read my book with all the other books out there. Sam, your essays, for our dear listeners who who don't know, Samantha Irby is a fucking genius. (laughs) Don't 
Thank you. I'm just regular listeners. But no, if you think about it, like, like in the book table metaphor, right? You walk in and you see like books on the front table, like the new books or the we recommend, you know, whatever. Books are expensive and they're like a luxury. And so like thinking about it in that context, like when all these books are spread before you, that someone like reached out and picked up my book with the bunny on it or whatever, or the screaming cat or what, whichever book they decide to buy. That to me, like, it still feels surreal. I'm like, oh, with all those other choices, huh? That's incredible. I really am humbled that people are like, buy it and read it and like Uh, it. You're amazing. I think that the way you write is a relief to your reader. Maybe it's a very simplistic way to put it, but you write about embarrassing things that we all deal with. (laughs) And we tend to think that we're alone in these embarrassing circumstances. Yeah. They're very intimate books. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get like people like me, I suppose, that are are like, I think we were separated at birth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's such a good feeling to read to recognize yourself, any part of yourself in someone else's, like, experience. Because life, I mean, it can be so lonely. And, like, when you're in your head, it feels so lonely. And, like, I do love when someone reads something of mine and they're like, I'm connected. I feel that or I have felt that. It's such a good feeling. I guess that's like the next step from the like, wow, I can't believe you bought it. But then the next level of that is like, I can't believe you read it. And then the level beyond that is like, oh, you read it and you related to it. That's an incredible feeling. Okay. What haven't you taken the time to learn about? I mean, this is embarrassing and probably too broad of an answer But history and, like, politics. I'm interested in watching people talk about historical things and, like, political debates and all that stuff. You will never, ever hear me wade into the waters of, like, discussing anything related to history or the current, like, sociopolitical landscape. None of that. I feel like I know, like, the basic facts. Like, I went to high school. I know some basic things. But deep historical knowledge, none. And (laughs) I'm not going to learn any. I feel like when people talk about what they don't know, they then follow it up by being like, but I'm going to read. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Too many things are happening now. I got to stay in the zeitgeist of now, I have piles of books that I want to read that are written now. I'm never going to learn. I will learn like some specific historical things, right? Like I just got that book by Patrick Radenkeefe about the troubles in Ireland. I will read that book so then I will know about the troubles according to that book. But like, a broad historical knowledge. She's no. very funny. She's very witty. She's <laughs> written at least five bestsellers. And she knows a lot about the troubles in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> 
the world's <laughs> foremost troubles expert. I, I mean, other than the guy who wrote the book, obviously. But yeah, it's history is one of those things. It it changes so fast. I never had an interest in school. And like anytime anyone mentions anything, I do like to like watch documentaries. Like I watched a documentary about the LA riots the other day, and that was good. And I watched this Netflix documentary Dis- Disclosure last night about trans representation. That was very good. And like I learned some things, but on a whole, I feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> we live in a weird time where any sort of visible person who does a thing, like people will ask you your opinion on like, you know, laws yeah. and shit. I don't know. There are college professors that you should talk to. There are experts. Don't ask like a dog with clothes on who makes fart jokes <laughs> about any serious political things. I don't know. Let's go talk to an ex- expert and we'll all learn. Like it's it's so weird because, you know, people will like be like, what's your opinion on whatever? And I'm like, I don't have an opinion on that. You know who does have an opinion That guy who studied it, let's talk to them. I so (laughs) feel you. I'm even hesitant to, like, go too much into this territory because, Sam, I was really worried that maybe you would think I was going to ask you about, like, all that's happening and, like, how we digest this and what we do. Yeah. Well, and my answer would be, like, I am watching in shock and horror, just like everyone else, donating as much as I can to every place I can. But I don't, I can't break it down. I barely, I'm like, I'm going to, here are the links where I have been reading things. (laughs) Here are the people I follow who post smart things about it. And I just wanted to woo you over so we could be best friends. I just wanted to be like, (laughs) Sam. Please like me. I find you a kindred spirit. (laughs) (laughs) If you were like, uh, listen, let's get into a heavy philosophical discussion. I'd be like, oh, Anna, I have to hang up and don't don't ever call me again. I I mean, really, I would think that you were joking. I'm truly every time somebody asks me like a deep question, I'm like, are we doing a bit? Because I'm in if it's a bit. If you actually think I know what you're talking about and can speak eloquently, we got to hang up. Like, oh, no, I can't. I can't do what you're asking me. I don't speak that language. I don't know. It's just so interesting because I would never, like, ask my neighbor to break down the news. Like, why do you want to know what regular people think? There are, like, people who study who we should listen to. I don't want to know what the dude at the car lot thinks. I just want to hear the news, like, from someone who knows. Let's just talk to someone who knows. Yeah. I just feel like my... And maybe you have this same feeling, but, like, what I can give to the world is funny stuff. So that's what I try to do. I stay in that lane. I'm trying to make you smile. I'm trying to make your day a little better. I am not here to like 
teach. I'm trying to learn too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think your candor and and your honesty liberates us. I'm trying. That's all I want to do is for people people who feel like they want to talk about their stuff, like to give them that freedom to do it. Not a, it's not everybody's ministry and that I understand. Not everybody wants to live out loud. You know what I mean? But for people who want to, if I can be a conduit on that journey, then yeah. great. Okay. Who would you invite to your dream dinner party? I would invite Forrest Whitaker. Uh-huh. I love him. Judge Greg Mathis, my <laughs> television god. Who else would I invite? I would invite... I love it that you love Forrest Whitaker. I do. He's a mystery man to me. Yes. He's so mysterious. And he also is like so kind and good. I just... I love him so much. I would invite Billy Porter because I think he's so funny. And I'm obsessed with Pose. Obsessed with Pose. And let me make it a good one. And Dave Chappelle. I love it. Yeah. Okay. In one word, how would you like to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered as kind. There are several like currents through my work. And one of them is that I don't usually punch down. Like I punch at myself, but I'm never trying to like make anyone more marginalized than I am feel bad, which is not the same as like doing uplifting comedy because that's not what I do. But I'm always like trying to like be nice and accessible for everyone and the kind of stuff that doesn't make anyone feel bad. <laughs> Even if you only feel better because you know that you're doing better than I am, at least that is the service I am providing for you. So yeah, kind. Yeah. I feel like funny's too obvious. Yeah, I know. It's an impossible and I feel question. Like at my funeral, if someone's got up and said Sam was kind, everyone I know <laughs> They'd be like, she was uh, okay. Kind feels like a stretch. I just think you're remarkable. Anna, come on. Are you trying to make me cry? <laughs> no, I. you are a remarkable person. I, that's Thank what I'm going to say to your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha, uh, I can't thank you enough, and I love you. Anna, I love you. This was so great. Samantha, would you be my friend? Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.